so once you've grown and once you've done those things, again, try and get out of the way of yourself as fast as possible because you're not as good at everything as you think you are. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Zach Quick is a Christian, a husband, father of two, and a full-time self-storage owner and operator based in Northwest Arkansas. He's been in real estate for nine years and pivoted from residential to self-storage four years ago. Zach got his start in residential real estate, but eventually he pivoted into the self-storage space. Did the W-2 thing out of college um, and, and started in residential and completely pretty much pivoted about three, four years ago. Uh, into full-time self-storage. Um, it's treated us very well, and real estate's an awesome, awesome path for anybody to choose. So uh, happy to happy to dive in. Although his family didn't have a real estate background, Zach had always wanted to start his own business. This drive led him to real estate. It's a funny thing. I think I, in some way, shape, or form, it was just kind of in me. Um, I didn't, you know, my family wasn't involved in it. Um, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a some. Uh, whether it was a small business owner, investor, uh, or real estate. And uh, to be frank, owning real estate seemed like the surest path. Um, and kind of like, if you're not sure what else to do, uh, that that was the the smartest way to go about it. So uh, so anyways, I, I, I kind of knew even, you know, late high school, uh, college that I would be, um, I would do something. So um, went the W-2 path, but kind of started on the side pretty quickly um, and knew that um, that I would get out of the W-2 uh, when I could. So, Real estate is not a get-rich-quick strategy, but it can be a certain path to wealth when it's done correctly. When he was first starting out, Zach wasn't open to having partners, and he had self-imposed limiting beliefs. While real estate is the most, I don't want to say, probably the most certain um, path to kind of uh, sailing your own ship or (laughs) however you want to say that. Um, There's a million different ways to do it. Um, And so you kind of have to just figure that that portion out yourself. I mean, obviously you can have mentors, you can ask questions of people that are, um, you know, maybe a few steps ahead of you, but just because it's the way that they've done, it doesn't mean that it's the right way for you. Um, Nor does it mean that maybe even that's even the way that you want to do it. So um, but yeah, I, I think probably, uh, starting out, one of the biggest things was, um, going outside of a specific geography, um, like how, how that can be done. And then a little bit later, um, one of the bigger things that I had to hurdle was, um, a being open to the idea of having partners to grow. Um, and then also just not limiting yourself on the size of a deal, um, that you're going after. Uh, there's, uh, there's really not that much different um, in terms of, you know, a small asset and a large asset. Like they're just doing the same thing. It's just an extra zero or two zeros, however you want to look at it. Although he's a self-storage investor, Zach had success in the residential real estate space. In fact, 
He scaled his residential portfolio to 28 units. Our first deal was actually, um, I was getting relocated from my job. I had got a promotion. And so we kind of had a, I don't want to say a tight timeline, but a fairly tight timeline of where we had to move to a new city. And my plan was kind of to, to house hack. Um, and so we looked uh, and we were moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, so we were looking on the MLS, just kind of looking at all of the listed duplexes. And uh, I went down a couple of times and uh, frankly, none of the ones that were listed, I felt like were either a semi close to where I was going to be working or be just a good fit. Um, and so we kind of, I don't know, for lack of better words, we're still looking around, but weren't sure what to buy. I didn't want to just buy a regular home. Uh, then randomly uh, hopped on the listings and um, a house with a garage apartment um, that was maybe a mile, probably less yeah, right at a mile from where I was going to be working. Um, got listed. It was already updated, um, had already, I mean, both the garage apartment and the house. And so uh, for someone who'd never owned before, who's someone who wasn't exactly handy, um, and someone that was going to be working a lot in their W-2, um, I thought that it was a great, uh, foray to, to dive in. So, um, so I think we did like the 3% down, um, and moved into the primary portion and then we rented out the, the garage apartment as well. So it was kind of a great, uh, jump for my wife and I, um, to, and honestly, in some ways it was easier than a duplex. We didn't even have any shared walls. We had a shared driveway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was the first one. Zach was able to scale his residential portfolio, but he realized that buying single family houses would take longer than he thought. So he decided to move up in unit size. That one was in Tulsa. And then honestly, we really didn't do much for about nine, 10 months, uh, after that, but did, did a lot of researching, um, you know, the rent, the rent checks were coming in from the garage apartment. So we thought, well, this, this seems to be working. Okay. Um, and then we, we had decided that we were going to relocate kind of back to uh, where we were from, which was Southeast Kansas. And so uh, bought the first one while we were still in Tulsa, um, took a 401k loan to buy a, a small little two, one cash, uh, did some repairs and then did a cash out refinance um, probably within, I don't know, 60 days after buying it, maybe a little bit more, but, um, and that, and that, that worked out good. And then we, we moved back pretty shortly after that. And I kind of realized that the one-off uh, small houses really weren't going to um, really weren't going to move the needle uh, the way I was kind of hoping or as quickly as I was hoping. Uh, and so I, I basically started driving around making a list and sending a lot of direct mail to people that were like uh, probably two to seven unit range. Um, and then not long after found two vacant, duplexes that were right next to each. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say vacant. They had one out of the four units were occupied, but it, it was pretty gross. Um, and so I was on a nice lot in a nice location. Uh, so we bought them and then fixed up all of them. And then, um, kind of within a matter of probably two ish years, um, went from call it two, three units to, to 28. Um, and really just reinvesting as much as we had, we both had decent jobs. My wife was a teacher and, uh, living frugally. And, um, and then we, the last thing that we had bought was that 12 unit that you talked about. Um, got a great price, but again, had to pretty much fix every single unit, uh, turn over everything. And so once he hit the 28 unit point, Zach had some limiting beliefs about the trajectory of his real estate career. He wasn't making enough money to continue to grow. 
That's when he came across a certain property that sparked his interest in self-storage. We had the 28 units um, and, and that was like, and everything was pretty much stabilized. So we, everything was, you know, 90-ish percent occupancy. Everything was pretty much rehabbed. Uh, but, but we were, for lack of better words, broke uh, in terms of uh, investable in capital to keep growing. Um, and so I just kind of felt stuck. Uh, at that point, we were like, well, you know, we don't have a lot of money left. Um, and it's not like the cash flow from those 28 was outstanding. It was okay. Um, so our, so our plan at that point was, you know, we'll sit on the 12 unit for a good 14, 16 months. Um, and then we'll try and sell it. And then maybe we'll 1031 exchange up into, you know, call it a 30 unit apartment or something. You know, that was kind of what I had in my head. Um, but in, in that time, we, we did go on a family vacation in, uh, Nashville, um, ironically. And I saw, these bright blue self-storage drawers. I looked out the door and it, and it literally felt like God like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Zach, you should, you should look into that. Um, so, so then just kind of went down the rabbit hole, had never even considered self-storage before that. Um, and just did a ton of research again, didn't buy anything new. Um, and then eventually kind of made a direct to owner list, uh, started making a lot of calls, a lot of networking, um, and then reached out to a lot of owners when it was time to actually sell that 12 unit. Um, we sold it, got a decent price. Um, and then it, during our identification period of the exchange, uh, got a call. Um, I had gotten really close to two or three before that, but for whatever reason, it didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't come to terms. And, um, and then, yeah, talked to him on a Thursday night and I think we were there Saturday morning, shook hands and, um, the close itself took, took quite a bit longer, but, um, but yeah, that, that was, that was the one. And it was in Northwest Arkansas, which is where we live now. Um, and it primarily boat and RV storage facility, um, had about an acre that was unused land that he basically, uh, he still had a pretty busy other business. And so the storage was kind of just a thing on the side and, um, the demand, he was hundred percent full, really no website to speak of, um, and really kind of was just charging whatever he kind of felt like charging at the time and not really, uh, running it like a business. And he fully admitted that. Um, but so that was a lot of kind of the opportunity, uh, that we saw on the property. And, um, yeah, it was a, um, kind of one of those lucky first deals because he basically said, I want to sell or finance it. I want to lower my taxes. Um, and yeah, you can do it for 7% down. And so we got to basically buy a property that was a lot bigger than we kind of anticipated uh, for our first storage deal. On his first self-storage deal, Zach was able to structure a win-win for himself and the seller. He saw a lot of value add potential in the deal and took advantage of existing operational inefficiencies that allowed him to increase the value of the asset. So the negotiation itself wasn't so much like a price for this or um, he was a very thorough individual and uh, wanted to include attorneys and more so for the seller financing portion, just to make sure that, uh, you know, all the T's were crossed and I's were dotted on that portion in the event that I, that we were to miss a payment that he could foreclose easily and um, et cetera. So, I mean, we, we closed well within the, um, time frame needed for the exchange. But um, anyways, it's, it, it, it's one of those things that never goes as fast as you, as you wanted it to. 
Uh, and especially us not knowing what we didn't know um, with storage. I mean, he didn't have any written contracts. Um, and multiple times our, the attorney we were using was like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you want to do this? Um, anyways. Uh, so yeah, so a, a couple of the, the major things um, that we were really looking at was, um, you know, it was a growing area. Northwest Arkansas is a growing area. This was really close to the lake and it catered. It was built for boat and RV storage. So the smallest unit was like 32 feet um, deep. So um, all of the competitors that were nearby were full. Um, this one was about as close as you could get to the lake without literally being on the marina. Um, and so, and again, no website. His pricing was a lot below market. Um, and again, he was bragging about a waiting list of, of, you know, call it 20 people that would say, oh, I, I can't wait to rent when someone moves out. Um, and there was some deferred maintenance as well, too, just the lighting um, and, you know, redoing some of the gravel driveways and number, numbering for the outdoor parking spaces and things like that. So um, quite a few things. But at the end of the day, we just thought that the revenue he was bringing in was probably 50% lower than what the potential was. Whether we thought we could truly get there or not, we had a pretty good um, pretty good idea that we thought we could get close, so. Zach could have kept investing in multifamily real estate, but he opted to focus on self-storage units. There are multiple reasons why he chose to do this. I think one of the biggest things is, is A, I think storage, and I'm simplifying here, but storage in a lot of ways has a lot more moving parts, and I actually kind of wanted that. Um, in some ways I wanted to get out of my job as fast as possible. And so I, I kind of thought that storage maybe had a little bit more leverage for me personally and my skill sets. So, um, it's ran a little bit more like, you know, there's a lot of ins and outs. People are moving in and out. You actually want some turnover, um, because that gives you an opportunity to, uh, reset your rates, um, charge admin fees, um, Whereas, and again, I'm simplifying, I'm talking to an apartment guy, so I don't want to offend anybody, but, uh, you know, when I, when I was doing it to a certain extent, you rehab the apartment, you get it rented and you want them to stay. Uh, like you just, you just kind of hope that nothing is messed up when they, when they get out. So, um, and, and it, it was a little bit more slower and granted, I think part of that was, you know, where I was renting was just a little bit lower rents, um, not a huge, uh, not a huge growth area where we had some of our residential stuff. Um, so, um, but anyways, yeah, just trying to like truly treat it as a business, get a, get a great website, make it able that people can move in and rent online, uh, answer the phone, which sounds very simple, but, um, is oftentimes the biggest differentiator of, um, wh whether someone rents with you or not. Uh, it's not storage is a very, um, split second kind of decision. Um, if you are close to their house and you answer the phone and you seem reasonable, they will rent from you right then and there. That doesn't really happen with apartments. Um, it's a lot more of a the decision process just takes longer. Uh, they usually want to see it. You know, they might have to involve um, a roommate or, or wife or spouse or whatever, whereas storage, it's more of like, okay, it's open. This is the size I need. I'm going to do it today. Uh, no one, no one wants to have a long drawn out process to rent a storage unit. So, um, so anyways, a lot of the demand drivers, and I actually felt like, um, especially three, four years ago, um, that there was still a fair amount of runway and other owners that would still just treat it like, like a fourplex, um, like, Hey, 
we like it full. We don't really want to push revenue. We don't want to push people out. Um, and so I just thought there was a good opportunity to come in and treat it like a business and um, try and have inventory to sell, if that makes any sense. Finding self-storage deals is different from how most investors find their apartment deals. Zach goes direct to seller and uses a few different marketing strategies to get in front of owners. All the deals that we've done um, in the last, call it four years, have been direct to owner. Um, that same spreadsheet that I kind of built out when we first started, I, I pretty much have that same sheet. It's been modified a lot. Uh, you know, different markets have been added to it. Properties that have either been um, that I thought were either too big or too small, depending on where I was at in my journey, have either been added or, or taken from it. But um, as simple as sending a letter two or three times a year um, and then doing everything I can to try and get FaceTime with an owner. Um, and usually that's just phone calls. Um, if I own, if, if I have happened to own a facility nearby one that I'd like to buy, then I'll do my darndest to sit down for lunch, come to their facility with them, just talk shop. Um, because really it is, um, it is a relationship, uh, like anything, when you're selling a business to someone, you want it to, you want to sell to someone that you trust is a decent person and, and also that they'll do what they say they're going to do, which is close, um, essentially. And then also that they, they treat your people decent. They treat, um, your property, uh, with care too. So, um, no secret sauce to it other than like, you just got to follow up, um, oftentimes for years at a time. It's commonly argued that there are more mom and pop owners in the self-storage space than in other spaces such as apartments. In Zach's experience, this is the case, but the window of opportunity is closing. That is true. Probably the, the REITs, which are the probably the six largest players of in terms of square footage of self-storage probably own. You see different statistics all the time, but I would say somewhere around 40% of the square footage is owned by the REITs. Um, I will say that that window is closing as fast as possible and not just the REITs, but, you know, larger private equity shops and um, even myself on a, on a smaller scale, like I'm trying to buy as much storage as I can too. Um, so, um, yeah, and the general demographic of, of who I'm buying from is, is uh guy or gal or couple or a couple business partners. And generally speaking, they're in their sixties, um, maybe early seventies. And they're, um, you know, they either built a facility themselves, uh, or they've owned it for 10 plus years. And, you know, they're just looking at retirement, um, ready to simplify their life, maybe, maybe move warmer climate. I don't know, but, but generally speaking, it's someone that's owned it for quite some time. And they were the uh, original developer or their family was the original developer. So, um, that, um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the same way that kind of works in wholesaling and in, in real estate, single family, when you have to market direct to seller, um, and, and in multifamily, I, don't, I, I believe the majority of uh, transactions are done with brokers. So, um, it sounds like there's more opportunity for now in the self-storage space, which is awesome. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. There's, um, you know, I've sold a facility with, with a broker and I, I'm not to say I won't ever buy a facility that's listed by a broker. Um, but like anything right now, it's really hot. Um, <laughs> most deals that are, if they're in a decent location and it's a decent property, like, you know, it's highest and best and who, who's going to take it down. Um, and I'd rather not play that game if I don't have to. So, yep. um, 
So, you know, and, and again, if, if it was a property that was literally across the street from mine, that was listed, like maybe I truly want to be highest and best so I can, you know, have some more efficiencies or things like that. But, um, you know, and there's, it's just easier, uh, to get a better deal off market. And I, and I don't even mean that to say like I'm stealing a deal or anything like that. Um, maybe it's just that they, you know, um, the whole contract close, um, they trust you. I feel like I'm probably getting better information a lot of times because they're like, Oh, here's our books. Like, just look at whatever you want. Um, whereas there's maybe not, um, a third party that's in between that may not, not good, bad or indifferent. Sometimes when there's a third party, um, it just complicates things. So, yeah. There's a high stable demand for self-storage properties in an economic downturn self-storage tends to perform well. You know, the generally speaking, storage does well in good times and bad times. Good times, people are buying more stuff. Um, businesses, which are often, I think I saw some statistics recently that about 11 or 12% of businesses have a storage unit, um, whether it's inventory, whether it's a service business, like a plumber that wants to keep some parts there or things like that. So um, so when, when times are good for businesses, they may need more storage to, uh, do their daily jobs. Um, you know, people are buying more boats, buying more toys. Um, they may be adding on to their house and they need to store some stuff for a while. Um, so generally speaking, when times are good, storage does well. Um, and there's a little bit more of a recession resistant, um, at aspect of it too, because oftentimes, um, you know, it's the, it's the three three D's, which is kind of cliche to say, but, uh, death, divorce, and displacement are kind of the demand drivers for storage. Um, so grandma, grandpa dies, you know, I don't know what to do with their stuff. I don't have room in my house, but I don't, you know, I don't want to get rid of it yet. I need to figure it out. So I put it in storage. Um, displacement is a fancy D word for just people moving. Right. Um, so, um, in times of economic turmoil, they maybe need to downgrade. Um, they may think it's temporary. They want to move in with mom and dad or aunt and uncle, um, but they don't want to get rid of all of their stuff because at some point they're going to want to go back out on their own. And so um, from a dollar perspective or a budgeting perspective, it's a lot easier for them to afford a hundred bucks a month for a storage unit versus call it a thousand for, for a house or apartment that they were renting for. Um, and then on divorce, uh, I don't, I don't have the exact statistics on divorce, but um, I think in general, when times are rough, there probably are more, are more divorces. Um, and so uh, again, oftentimes that, that leads to people moving, uh, being unsure, downgrading or upgrading a house. Um, and so uh, coronavirus in a lot of ways um, is a very weird, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have called it a uh, downturn, maybe for like a couple of weeks, uh, it was a downturn, but um, but in a lot of ways, a lot of those things that I just talked about all happened. And then also, uh, everyone had a few extra bucks in their pocket because of the, you know, Fed's choice to inject some money in there. So, uh, so storage actually occupancies across the board, not just me, not just any, um, with the exception of maybe like New York City or Los Angeles, uh, pretty much all self-storage operators have had wild occupancy highs um, over the last year and a half or whatever you want to call it. So, um, but yeah, generally speaking, it's, it, it's, it's sticky when times are good and sticky when times are bad. So 
There are risks when it comes to investing in self-storage. Zach has raised capital for his self-storage projects, and according to him, the biggest risk to self-storage is other self-storage properties. Honestly, it just kind of depends on how much money's in our in our bank. Whether we, you know, look to buy one ourselves, um, buy it with one or two joint ventures from people that we've known for a long time, or do a more quote unquote uh, syndication where there's there's a few more limited partners. Um, but honestly, the biggest risk to self storage is self storage. Um, it is a lot easier to overbuild. Um, I would say, generally speaking, we probably have a housing shortage. Um, I can't say that we have a shortage of storage in a lot of markets, um, especially if it's a quote unquote sexy market. Um, a lot of regional developers or even local developers, however you want to put that, will uh, kind of try and check a metro off their box of like, oh, I want to develop here or, oh, I'll, I, you know, I got this dirt for a good, good price. Storage is the easiest thing to build. Um, which is all true. Um, storage is the cheapest per square foot to build of pretty much any other asset type, but just because you can build it doesn't mean that you should. Um, so that uh, getting a getting a handle on supply is is um, and and I'm dwelling on this, but literally um, <laughs> the the best and worst part about storage. Um, you know, I don't. We don't want governments to intervene and say people can't build storage, but I would like smarter storage owners and landowners not to just think it's the easiest thing in the world uh, to run. Because it, 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 well, on the surface, it does seem very easy. There are a lot of moving parts and things that um, that what a good operator can can get at a property and what a bad operator can get is it is an enormous delta. Um, and um, so, anyways. I, Getting a getting a understanding of supply, is there anything new getting built? Um, and then who's operating it? How well did they operate it? Um, and then what's their experience with like the actual day to day operations? Because again, um, it, it it it's a day to day. You're in it every time. Like um, you know, you may have fifty move outs and fifty move ins um, every single month uh, throughout the spring and summer. Um, and that, that, that's a lot of moving parts. Um, and so, so I would say supply and just operations are really the two biggest things, uh, that anyone that's looking to own storage themselves or be a limited partner themselves should really be honing in on. A common mistake investors make is limiting what they think they're capable of. Zach made this mistake early on in his journey, but he's learned from it. And it sounds cliche, but don't think too small of yourself. Um, there's no like graduation ceremony or uh, like certificate that you get where it says like, okay, you've done 20 units. Now you can do 200. There's, there's nothing like that, even though in your head, it may, it may feel like there's something like, oh, okay, I've done this. I can now do this. I'm not saying that there's not benefits of maybe starting uh, somewhere along the path and going up, but um, no one is telling you, you can't do it, but yourself. Uh, so that's probably the biggest thing. And, and look, like I, um, I, I look at that myself every single day in some way, shape or form, we all kind of have imposter sy syndrome and kind of looking it in the eye is, is probably step number one, if you want to grow. Um, and then I would say secondly, and what I'm, I'm working on now is just getting out of my, uh, getting out of the way, um, 
you know, as you're growing, you're wearing a lot more hats, especially if you're smaller, like you're kind of forced to wear a lot more hats. And then, uh, so now for me, it's more about building a team and trying to get out of the way and find people that do better at the things that I, than me at the things that I was doing. Um, and so, uh, so once you've grown and once you've done those things, again, try and get out of the way of yourself um, as fast as possible because you're not as good at everything as you think you are. For Zach, leaving his W-2 was a major goal of his. Although he took a risk when he left, real estate enabled him and his wife to quit their jobs and be full-time investors. And I honestly probably leapt, left, leaped uh, slightly earlier than I maybe quote-unquote should have, but you know, she was still teaching and um, I always kind of figured I could go get another job if, you know, everything proverbial hits the fan and things go sideways. Uh, but I would say from the moment we bought our first investment property to the moment I quit was probably five to six years. I should figure out the exact date, but something like that. Um, and uh, I, in a lot of ways, it, it was a blessing to do it then because I think it added a little bit more motivation um, you know, there weren't any competing priorities for me. I'm very much a, if I'm doing something, I'm all in on it. I'm not very good at splitting, uh, splitting my priorities. Um, so yeah. No, that's awesome. And I completely agree. I, I think having that, that central, uh, chief definite aim and purpose and focus, um, you're just going to be more productive and also it's really hard to have your, your feet in two buckets. So absolutely. Yeah. I have some, I have some friends that can do it and I, I'm kind of astonished, um, because I, I can't, I have to be in a lane. That doesn't mean I, you know, in the future may not be passive in some other stuff as a form of diversification. But I think if you're going to be the guy in this for me, like I, I need to be the guy in this, uh, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Zach is invested in two States and he's been selling his smaller properties so he can purchase larger ones. He intends to continue scaling his portfolio and growing his business and team. We've got about eight properties um, in Missouri and Arkansas, and we've done, to be honest, a lot of buying and selling the last 18 months just to buy, buy some smaller stuff, scale up into larger stuff. Um, and so right now, pretty much everything I have, um, we don't have any intention of, of selling, but um, I, I think really realistically within two years, we could get to about 50 million, um, under assets. Uh, right now we're, I'll call it between 20 and 25 million, depending on whose math you want to use. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the next, um, hurdle and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to hire kind of an asset manager or district manager or operations manager, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, so that the people on the front lines don't have to talk to me every day and I can focus a little bit more on, on kind of the longer term growth. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at now and where we're going. Long term, Zach is focused on creating a strong team in a great work environment. Legacy is at the core of what drives him and he hopes to one day pass down the business to his children. Probably the biggest thing I want, one that I've been really focusing on lately is, um, creating a culture of, of where people want to work, um, and who people want to work for. Um, and hopefully something long-term that, um, you know, my kids are, I've got two kids and they're really young. Um, but I, I think this is a great business and hopefully it's something that dad and mom can show, um, 
A, that it's, you, you, you hear these stories of entrepreneurs growing up and then kids hearing like how like mom and dad were always frustrated. They were always like, I don't want to do that. I want to, I just rather go get a job. I just want to check out. Um, again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, my hope is that I'm building a business that um, A, they don't feel like they need to run in the opposite direction uh, uh, when, when they maybe have a chance to uh, do something themselves. Um, and be just try and try and be a leader and create a workforce that um, sounds cliche, but enjoy enjoy what they do and enjoy serving their customers. Most people impose limiting beliefs onto themselves without realizing it. Zach did this to himself, and once he got out of his own way, he was able to achieve great things as an investor and an entrepreneur. Quit limiting yourself. Um, and again, that's a message that we all should just deliver to ourselves um, every single day. But yeah, just get out of your own way and quit quit limiting yourself. To find out more about Zach, here's where you can go. My name's Zach Quick. There's not very many Zach Quicks out there. So Z-A-C-H-Q-U-I-C-K.com um, or LinkedIn, Twitter, um, anywhere, bigger pockets, anything like that. Uh, just drop me a line or Zach, Z-A-C-H at ZachQuick.com. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Take care, guys.